When you think of America in the 20th century, I think, if you, I think you would come up with or think about two great communicators. And one, of course, was Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and the other would have to be Ronald Reagan. Um, there's usually, I, I, I find on the part of a lot of people, a, a, a kind of um, misconception about Reagan as a communicator. People will uh, know that Ronald Reagan uh, was an actor, Hollywood actor, and they'll uh, ascribe his abilities as a communicator uh, purely to the fact that he was an actor. And Reagan did quip at one point that all presidents who followed him would have to be an actor. Um, but I think there's, there's, there's a lot more to it with Reagan in, in terms of what he said in his speeches and the rhythm and cadence of his speeches. Um, the thing about Reagan, first of all, even though his, we know his background was as an actor, um, is, that, is that he was politically involved uh, from early on. In the 1930s and 40s in Hollywood, he was very active, initially really as, as a Roosevelt, as an FDR Democrat. And Reagan always used to quip that he didn't leave, leave the party when people asked him how he became a Republican, but he said that the party left him, um, which is only really partially true. Reagan's um, political um, uh, outlooks, his philosophy, if you will, had, had changed uh, since the 1930s. Um, in the 1940s, I think, and 50s, he's uh, president of the Screen Actors Guild, um, and those were during the times uh, when there was a great, the great issue was uh, communism and commun communists in Hollywood, and Reagan played a very active role in all of that situation. And then he was governor of California um, uh, beginning in, in, in the 60s. Uh, so his, his his background, his political background, is extensive before he becomes president. Um, he played an active role. How did he play that role? In Hollywood? Yeah. Uh, as, as, as an activist, give, you know, giving talks, um, uh, being involved in, in political events. Uh, he was always very much interested in politics. Um, he, um, Reagan also, one of the things you have to remember about him is that he writes his own speeches. Um, all during this period when he's president of the Screen Actors Guild, uh, when he's giving speeches on behalf of political candidates, even as governor of California, he's writing most of his own speeches. Uh, Reagan generally was known as someone, if, you, if people who did know him, his wife, his friends, as someone who wrote a lot. Um, he wrote, you know, lots of letters, short fiction, poetry, uh, sports stories, uh, as I said, speeches, newspaper articles, instructions to his cabinet and staff. Um, he also kept a diary when he was president. And one volume of that diary, uh, an abridged volume uh, of the diary, has been published. And you can get a sense, if you look at that, in terms of Reagan as a writer. Um, Nancy Reagan remembered him this way. She always remembered him, quote, sitting at his desk writing, which he seemed to do all the time. Um, nobody ever thought that he ever read anything either, but he was a voracious reader. I don't ever remember Ronnie sitting and watching television. I really don't. When I picture those days, it's him sitting behind that desk in the bedroom working. Um, so that was uh, Nancy Reagan's memory of him. Um, his staff also always remembered Reagan uh, writing. When they took airplane trips, Reagan would sit by the window and generally spend all of the time writing. 
Um, in the 1960s, Reagan bought a, a ranch uh, outside of, of L.A., actually pretty far outside, about two and a half hours away. And almost daily, um, for a time, he and a few workers would ride two and a half hours from the L.A. area to the ranch, and then they'd work eight or nine hours at the ranch, uh, basically tearing down the structure that was there so something new could be built. And then they did the two-and-a-half-hour drive back since you couldn't stay at the ranch. Well, Reagan always sat in the back seat. He had a little light set up, and he would write, both going there and coming back. Um, as president, um, as, as all 20th century presidents, and, and probably all presidents in the future, he didn't have the time to write a lot of his speeches, but he always edited them, edited them quite thoroughly. And there's a great story when Reagan was president. His Secretary of State, George Shultz, had written an important foreign policy speech. And he brought it to the White House for Reagan to look at and approve. And Reagan sat down and, and he, he read the speech thoroughly. And then he looked up at, at uh, George Shultz and he said, perfectly satisfactory. And then he paused for a bit, but it's not exactly the way I would give it. And Schultz looked back at him, probably uh, curious and a little annoyed as to what Reagan was really getting at, and asked Reagan what he meant. And Reagan took the speech, and just at random took a page of the speech. And he made five or six editorial insertions, and at one point um, had a little carrot and said, insert story here. And Schultz looked at the page, and he was astonished, because reading it, Reagan's editing had changed the whole rhythm of that page. Um, I'm going to read a few excerpts from Reagan's speeches uh, as I go along. I'm going to start from the very famous one that he gave in 1964. And this was Reagan's um, nominating speech uh, for Barry Goldwater, running for the Republican presidency in 1964. And I'm just going to read bits of it. And I can't, unfortunately, do it with his rhythm and cadence. <clears throat> I am going to talk of controversial things. I make no apology for this. The idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power, is still the newest, most unique idea in the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. This is vintage Ronald Reagan. You and I are told we must choose between the left or right, but I suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There is only an up or down. Up to man's age-old dream the maximum of individual freedom consistent with order, or down to the antheap of totalitarianism. Regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would sacrifice freedom for security have embarked on this downward path. Plutarch warned, he's quoting Plutarch here, the real destroyer of the liberties of the people is he who spreads among them the bounties, donations, and benefits. Um... Let me see, one other, two other short paragraphs. They say that the world has become too complex for simple answers. They are wrong. There are no easy answers, but there are simple answers. 
we must have the courage to do what we know is morally right. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We will preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we will sentence them to take the first step into a thousand years of darkness. If we fail, at least let our children and our children's children say of us, we justified our brief moment here. We did all we could that could be done. Um, Reagan, as he gave speeches, whether it was at this one at the Republican nominating convention or going around the country, certainly in the 1970s giving speeches, developed a really interesting technique of how to do this. Now, most, most people who followed Reagan's career know that he used four-by-six cards, but they don't know the technique that he used, and it is interesting. When he gave a serious policy speech, his, his first uh, um, um, technique, his first action, was to write the speech out in longhand because he, was a, he didn't want to make any factual errors, and this was especially in speeches, and Reagan often would use a lot of numbers uh, and a lot of facts in his speeches. Um, a difficult part of this for Reagan is that he was very nearsighted. He did not like wearing glasses, so he wore contacts, and these were the old, hard contacts of the 1960s and 70s, and this corrected his nearsightedness. But the problem with that is if you were standing at a lectern and you were wearing those contacts and you were looking at this, it would be blurry. Because if, if, if once the, the, your vision is corrected, you cannot see things that are near to you. So what he would, this is what he would do. When he was arriving to, to give a speech, whether he was in a car or airplane, just before stopping, he would pop the right contact out of his eye. This gave his right eye near vision. With his left eye, he could make eye contact with the audience. And he, and he would work this way. Um, as I said, he wrote the speech out in longhand, usually on legal-sized yellow pads. Um, but he never would bring that to the podium with him. He would then transfer the speech to these four-by-six index cards. And he worked out his own code and his own way of abbreviation so that he would get one long legal-sized yellow sheet into one four-by-six index cards using his codes, leaving out vowels, articles. Each se- I've seen pictures of the cards. Each separate thought or sentence, was he separated by a heavy black line. And he was able to get himself to the point where he could look, glance at the cards down at the lectern, know what exactly he had to say, and still retain eye contact. Um, he would do that, you know, he had, usually it was, one, as I said, one card to a legal-sized page. He would have, a full speech would be 25 to 30 cards, which he would number on the right-hand top, put in a rubber band, and put in his jacket pocket. When he approached the stage, he'd be waving with one hand, walking up to the lectern. When he got up to the lectern, only those behind him could see him take out the cards, put it on the lectern. It looked quite convincingly like he was not reading the speech. And he was able to do this really effectively. Um, 
few other speeches here. Um, from 1975 to 1979, Reagan gave these five-minute radio addresses, and they were heard in most parts of the country. Some of you may remember them. There were over a 1,000 of them during those years. He wrote all of them himself. We have his, his handwritten uh, uh, address, you know, um, manuscript for those, for those speeches. And there were two themes that stood out even at, at that point. One was his optimism about America, and the other was his dislike of communism. Now, remember, this is the late 1970s. This is not a good period in America. You have high inflation, low economic growth, high employment, unemployment. Um, many at the time believed that, um, this, that Soviet Russia uh, was on the rise and that the United States was on a downward path. Um, Reagan, however, never doubted that the United States, um, that our side would win, as he would put it. I'll read you a few excerpts from one of these broadcasts. This was December 22nd, 1976. And he usually would start out with the first sentence. And here is this one. Every once in a while, it's important that we look at the balance sheet so that we'll know what we're trying to save. And then he'd say, I'll be right back. And there was a commercial. And then, he, and then, he, and then he, he'd come back with the rest of the speech. I know that I've used these broadcasts to criticize those who have lost faith in our system, those who would make fundamental changes on the premise that what we've done in the past is all wrong, and those who think we are all over the hill and headed for the dustbin of history. I intend to go on talking about our problems because they are problems that truly need solving. I'm also going to go on resisting those who would have us believe the problems are proof that our system isn't working. Put another way, it's time we recognize the system has never let us down. We've let the system down now and then because we're only human. Um, well, I won't, I won't read you too much more of that. It, it's an interesting talk. Um, one of Reagan's most famous speeches, uh, aside from the Berlin, Berlin Wall speech, which many of you may know, is one he delivered in England, June 8, uh, 1982. And this he delivered to the parliament. Um, and it made a, a, a rather, um, it was rather impressive, and, and many in England were impressed with him who originally had not been. Um, a few paragraphs. We're approaching the end of a bloody century plagued by a terrible political invention, totalitarianism. Optimism comes less easily today, not because democracy is less vigorous, but because democracy's enemies have refined their instruments of repression. Yet optimism is in order because day-by-day day democracy is proving itself to be a not-at-all-fragile flower. From Staten on the Baltic to Varnera on the Black Sea, the regimes planted by totalitarianism have had more than 30 years to establish their legitimacy. But none, not one regime, has yet been able to risk free elections. Regimes planted by, by bayonets do not take root. And let me give you, here's a, two examples of Reagan's stories that he would insert in speeches. The strength of the solidarity movement in Poland demonstrates the truth told in an underground joke in the Soviet Union. It is that the Soviet Union would remain a one-party nation even if an opposition party were permitted. 
and that is because everyone would join the opposition party. Um, another one that I kind of like. Um, I've often wondered about the shyness of some of us in the West about standing for those ideals that have done so much to ease the plight of man and the hardships of our imperfect world. The reluctance to use these vast resources at our command reminds me of an elderly lady whose home was bombed in the Blitz. As the rescuers moved about, they found the bottle of brandy she stored behind the staircase, which was all that was left standing. And since she was barely conscious, one of the workers pulled the cork to give her a taste of it. She came around immediately and said, here now, there now, put it back. That's for emergencies. Um, one last thing, and this may be Reagan's best piece of writing. Um, this was his letter in 1994 telling the nation that he had Alzheimer's disease. The great biographer Edmund Morris called it a masterly piece of writing with the simplicity of genius. Nancy Reagan was asked whether Reagan, President Reagan had struggled with it and wrote many drafts. She said that he just sat down and wrote it out. November 4th, 1994. My fellow Americans, I have recently been told that I am one of the millions of Americans who will be afflicted with Alzheimer's disease. At the moment, I feel just fine. I intend to live... Sorry. I intend to live the remainder of the years God gives me on this earth doing the things I have always done. I will continue to share life's journey with my beloved Nancy and my family. I plan to enjoy the great outdoors and stay in touch with my friends and supporters. Unfortunately, as Alzheimer's disease progresses, the family often bears a heavy burden. I only wish there was some way I could spare Nancy from this painful experience. When the time comes, I am confident that with your help, she will face it with faith and courage. In closing, let me thank you, the American people, for giving me the great honor of allowing me to serve as your president. When the Lord calls me home, whenever that may be, I will leave with the greatest love for this country of ours and eternal optimism for its future. I now begin this journey that will lead me into the sunset of my life. I know that for America, there will always be a bright dawn ahead. Thank you, my friends. May God always bless you. Sincerely, Ronald Reagan. It's a beautiful piece of writing. Well, that's the great communicator. If I wanted to stress anything, it's not how he said it. It's not merely that he was an actor. It's what he said and his incredible ability to write in a way in which it would sound so good. The rhythm, the cadence. He was just, he was just able to do that. And I don't know if you can train anyone to do that. I, th I think it's kind of an inborn talent. Any questions? Any comments? Yes. Reagan worked for GE and traveled the country giving speeches for right. years. How much did that impact his philosophy and the way he delivered his messages later in his political career? I don't know if it impacted his philosophy. I, I think I think that was I, th I think he he kind of developed um, his his outlooks. I mean, the training in that, uh, in that must have been great, uh, the ability to, to go around and, and, and do it. And I'll retract some of what I said in terms of it being an inborn talent. He did it so often, whether it was writing 
and delivering speeches, whether it was the GE speeches or the radio speeches, that he did get better at it. He did become a master at it. Um, practice does make perfect. So, you know, I, th I think these were the years, and as I said, it wasn't just the Democratic Party that moved away from him, perhaps in foreign policy, um, but his, his domestic policy views were something that he developed over those years. Reagan um, was, took, took the point of view that communist agents, not just believers in communism, but communist agents um, should be uh, outed. Um, and he worked, he uh, cooperated with the House of Un-American Activities Committee and developed a lot of enemies as a result of that. I mean, Hollywood... Had, you know, in the 1940s and 50s was, was really very much split on those two sides. Okay. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know how original it was. I mean, in one of the excerpts I read you, he used uh, Rendezvous with Destiny, which Roosevelt, F.D. Roosevelt first used in his speech, and then he used The Last Best Hope on Earth, which, of course, is a Lincoln line. Uh, Reagan felt no compunction about borrowing stuff. So I don't know if he actually coined Evil Empire or had seen it. He certainly um, gave it great popularity for those who liked it and those who didn't. Thanks very much for coming this evening, folks. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. Next week's sitter is Eudora Welty.